This is the Classic Baseball Broadcast Network, where we believe there is nothing like hearing about history from those who lived it. Listen to our full catalog of broadcasts at ClassicBaseballBroadcast.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please help me out and do one of three things. Follow, subscribe this podcast, and leave a review. It really helps. Share us with your baseball friends. Uh, let them know about us. Or jump over to members.thisdayinbaseball.com. Join our email list, community, and our family of baseball podcasts. And uh, Bill, if, if you don't mind, as I say, this is sort of without warning. Would you say a word or two when I ask you a couple questions? I sure will. Uh, I'd like to know this first. How long have you been in the game? Did you go right, start right in with the A's? Yeah, I started in 31. I was formed out three years. I was 31, 32, and 33. Then in 34 and 35, I was with the Athletics, and then I, this is my third change this year already. Well, see, you were the Athletics, and then where'd you go? Washington. I went to Washington. I was only there about 18 days, and I was uh, sent here. Oh, I see. And uh, how do you like the change? Oh, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I've wanted to come here with Jimmy for two or three years and never been able to do it and I was sure pleased when I did get the chance to come here. Then uh, you pull us around the circuit really feel the way about the same way about Jimmy the fans here do is that right? Well he's the greatest fellow in the game today to me and most of the boys who play for him. Well, I think the fans would be glad to hear that. We felt that way, but it's uh, very hard sometimes to get ball players to say that right out in so many words. Sure. Especially those that have been here any length of time. Well, uh, Bill, uh, when you were with the... Uh, where did you come from to the A's? Did you come right out of school? High school, yeah. I graduated from high school in 1930. In Philly? Philadelphia. And uh, then went right with them, and now you're with the White Sox. You really think that you've got the club you like to be with, right? Finally got here, yeah. <laughs> Been trying for three years. Been trying for three years and finally made it. Uh, well, outside of the fact that Jim's such a great fellow to be around, what just what's the attraction to this ball club out here? Well, they've got a swell bunch of ball players, and I think within the next two years they're going to be a very dangerous pennant contender. And I think with the Muddy Rule, who has helped me tremendously since I've been here, and with the catching of Sewell, who I think is the best receiver in the league. I think it's a great and a bit of encouragement for a young pitcher to come here and pitch. We'll do with you out there in the bullpen. I saw him when he first came to the club, and I suppose you did it on the road, too. I see him take you out there in the bullpen and work with you sometimes three or four innings. Yeah, he really, he really tears you apart. He tells you every bad fault you got. And no matter what kind of a game you pitch, the next day he'll call you aside and tell you how really terrible you were. <laughs> in other words, uh, you might win, but he lets you know that you're lucky in some respect. That's, that's, that's the idea. You don't get a little bit smug. Did he do any changing with you? Because I know before you came here, your control was supposed to be a little bad. Why, he found it the first day I was here. He found out that I was gripping the ball very tightly, and he made me loosen up my grip. And I don't know. I can't say yet because I've only been in these two games, but I think that... That might have been the cause of my trouble all along. You seem to feel easier out there now. Well, I, I notice that you're not trying to steer the ball anymore at all. No. You're just throwing it. I feel great. Well, that's uh, the answer. Isn't that strange? A fellow like that will take one look and find that out. Although I think I've heard Muddy make that same statement to two or three pitchers. For instance, he's loosened Kennedy's grip. Kennedy was telling me. And uh, he's worked on a couple of fellas to loosen their grip. Most pitchers, I guess, young pitchers get an idea you got to grip that ball mm -hmm. too tight. Well, then they're trying a little hard, you know, to make good and everything, and they want to grab it and throw it as quick as they get it. 
And, and he goes out there and it. takes one look and starts loosening up. That's right. Well, I think it's a doggone good idea. I'm especially happy that you're happy to be here because uh, you've got the loyalist gang of fans here in the south side of Chicago, I think, of any club in the whole world. I say that being a Chicagoan now, but I came originally from the east, and I've seen them all around the circuit. And this gang, uh, you didn't see an awful lot of this ball club during the years when it was in last place, but... You know, we had days like this one Sunday after another. 20,000 people out here, 30,000 for a tail-in ball club. So you're going to have a lot of fun friends for you get through here. Uh, yeah, you home still in Philly, Bill? Yeah, I live in Philly. I've made my home there all my life. You married or single? I'm married. For a family? I had one child, 19 months old. Well, boy or girl? Boy. Boy, well, he'll be another ball player coming along. <laughs> Just about the time you are ready to hang up the club, well, he'll be about ready. Boy. Yes, he will. <laughs> well, that's all. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. Our fans wanted to meet you. And I wanted to chat with you, and I do like to catch you fellas sort of unawares this way. Then you're more natural, because some of these fellas, you warn them a day ahead of time. By the time you get them in front of the mic, they're so nervous, they don't know what they're going to say. Although I don't think you would be. <laughs> Bill Dietrich, the new pitcher of the White Sox, who did that grand job yesterday holding this very valuable and expensive Red Sox team to two hits, and coming out, as you well know, very much on top. Now for the ball game, the lineups. For the first game, for Boston, Cook, right, Kramer, center, Manush, left, Fox, first, Kroner, second, Cronin, short, Werber, third, Berg, catching, and West Farrell, pitching. For the White Sox, Radcliffe, left, Trevich, center, Haas, right. <laughs> Ted Lyons has been laying for Mo Berg ever since he went upstairs to dry off, and Mo found him waiting for him down here in the runway, and he came a shooting out of this runway like there was a great big animal back there or something. And go on with that White Sox lineup. We started to get a Radcliffe left. Hush right. Lenora first. Russell picked the first one? Well, so it is. Russell's warming up there. Well, then correct the Boston lineup. The pitcher, somebody told me earlier, one of the players, that West was going to do the first game. He'll probably pitch the second then instead. We'll finally get into this White Sox lineup. If you'll be carefully, uh, carefully patient, we might say. The... Uh, White Sox lineup, we gave you down through Hassan. Benora first, and Appling short. Hayes second. Dykes third. Sewell catching. And Kane pitching. The umpires will be Ormsby at the plate. Hubbard at first. And McGowan at third. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the umpires will probably be out here in a few minutes. There's a big crowd here today, and a lot of people still coming in. So I imagine my smart move would be to start upstairs as soon as I can so I can get through there and be up there when this game gets underway so we don't miss any pitches. So with that in mind, I will now look up toward the booth, wigwag with my small finger, whereupon George will turn a dial or ring a bell or just do nothing, which he does very well too. And uh, we'll have a switch to the studio and then we'll catch you again from up there when we get there. So while I'm on the way up there, how about a switch to the studio, George? Here's good news that will gladden your heart as a motorist. A new kind of motor oil that puts more miles between the quarts you have to buy is on sale at all 
Texaco station. It's the new Texaco motor oil, made by the Furfural process. Furfural is a special refining material that gives an oil a stronger, tougher lubricating film, a film that resists burning up inside the engine. It keeps the crankcase full longer because it is all lubricant. Gum-forming elements and all other non-lubricating materials have been removed. Ask for the new Texaco motor oil with the exclusive Furfural film at any Texaco station. Change now to this entirely new oil that provides greater engine protection for a longer time. And while Hal Totten's making that trip up to the booth to bring you this afternoon's baseball game from Comiskey Park between the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago White Sox, we'll give you the schedule of the other games to be played and the scores that have come in so far this afternoon. First over in the National League, in Boston, the Chicago Cubs are playing a doubleheader against the Bees this afternoon. The first game has already started, and at the end of the first half of the fourth inning of the first game in Boston between the Cubs and the Bees, the Cubs lead one to nothing. Lee and Hartnett are working for the Cubs, the Bees using McFadden and Lopez. In Philadelphia, the St. Louis Cardinals play a doubleheader against the Phillies. At the end of the second inning of the first game, the Cardinals are leading the Phillies six to nothing. Haynes and Davis, the St. Louis Cardinal battery, the Philadelphia Phillies starting Walters and Wilson, with Jorgen taking over in the third inning. In that game, Martin of the Cardinals started that six-run lead in the second inning when he had a home run with two men on base. All six of the Cardinal runs were made in the first half of the second inning. In Brooklyn, the Cincinnati Reds are playing a doubleheader ball game against the Dodgers. At the end of the first half of the first inning, the Reds are leading the Dodgers two to nothing. Stein and Lombardi, the Red Battery, Mungo and Berries working for the Dodgers. In New York, the Giants are taking the Pittsburgh Pirates on in a single game. That game has not started. It will start about 2.30 our time. And now over to the American League. In St. Louis today, the Browns take on the Philadelphia Athletics. But no batteries and no scores on that game as it will start about 2 o'clock our time. That's going to be a doubleheader ball game between the Browns and the Philadelphia Athletics. In Cleveland, the Indians engage the New York Yankees in a single game. And in Detroit, the Tigers take on the Washington Senators, also a single game. The game at Comiskey Park, of course, is a doubleheader ball game between the Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox. To repeat for you the batteries on that game, to which you'll listen in just a few moments, the Red Sox are starting Russell as the pitcher, Berg as the catcher, the White Sox using Kane and Sewell. And now for a look at the standings of the clubs in both leagues. First, the National League, the Chicago Cubs are in first place. Second place is held by the St. Louis Cardinals. They're two games behind. Third, ga- third place is the New York Giants. Fourth, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Fifth, the Cincinnati Reds. Sixth, the Boston Bees, whom the Cubs are playing this afternoon. Seventh, the Philadelphia Phillies. And in last position, the Brooklyn Dodgers. In the American League, first place is held by the New York Yankees. Second place by the Cleveland Indians, whom the Yankees are playing this afternoon. Third place, the Boston Red Sox, who are out of Comiskey Park playing the White Sox. Fourth place, the Detroit Tigers. Then fifth place, the Chicago White Sox. Sixth place, the Washington Senators. And in seventh position, the St. Louis Browns, who are playing the eighth position Philadelphia Athletics in St. Louis this afternoon in a doubleheader ballgame. And now for the standings of the leaders in home run hits scored so far this year. In first position, Lou Gehrig of the Yankees. 
has had 33 home runs so far this year. In second position, uncontested, all by himself, Trotsky of the Cleveland Indians, with 31, two home runs behind Lou Gehrig. In third place, Jimmy Fox of the Red Sox, with 30. Fourth place, Mel Ott of the Giants, 21. In fifth place, tied for fifth place, Averill of the Indians and Camilli of the Phillies with 20. Dickey of the Yankees has had 18. Klein of the Phillies has had 18. Berger of the Bees, 17. DiMaggio of the Yanks, 16. Goslin of the Tigers, 16. Johnson of the Athletics, 16. Medwick of the Cardinals, 15. Selkirk of the Yanks, 14. Also, Jay Moore of the Phillies, 14. Demery of the Cubs, 13. Goodman of the Reds, 12. And the following men have had 11. Oh, correction. Hale of the Indians has also had 12 home runs. These following men have had 11 home runs. Collins of the Cardinals. Mize of the Cardinals. Lazari of the Yanks. Cool of the Senators. And Simmons of the Tigers. And now I see that Hal Totten is ready, and we'll go back to Comiskey Park to the baseball game brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local team. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark, ladies and gentlemen, for the first game of today's doubleheader between the White Sox and the Red Sox. Chicago and New York bearing down to try to find out what's going to happen in this series because each team has won one game so far. The uh, teams have just taken the field for the start of this ball game. And uh, Sugar Keen, another former member of the Athletics, is out there going through his warm-up, finishing off with Luke Sewell as Dusty Cook stands down there at the plate to uh, start the game off. Sugar's a right-hander, as I think you well remember. Sewell throws the ball out to second base, which means that the warm-up is over. And Dusty Cook, the Red Sox right fielder, a left-handed hitter, steps up there to the plate to start things off in the first game. Should I have I got Chicago, New York, George? Well, we'll make it Boston, man. I'm sorry I slipped up on that. But we had another doubleheader last week, I believe. Rather a violent one. King winds up and throws the first pitch, and it's a strike over the inside corner, just above knee high. The hitter let it go by. One strike on Cook. And he swings the next one to follow it down against the far end of the Sox dugout, and it bounds on down the line, and somebody comes running out of the stands to grab it as it rolls down there in front of the canvas. So it's two strikes on Cook. Two strikes to count. Standing there getting his sign again. Starts to wind up. Throws and the hitter takes it wide and low. Or ball one and the count is one ball and one strike. One and one on Cook. Or one and two. I'm trying to do two things at once here and it doesn't seem to be working out today. George, I guess I better do some concentrating instead. And there's the next one for ball two. So he's got him even up anyway. Two balls and two strikes on Cook. Again, starts to wind up pitches. 
And Dusty takes it inside across the waist for ball three. Had two strikes on him, but now he's run the count to three and two. Dean stands there. Throwing up that ball a little. Finally starts his wind up. Pitches. Cook swings in a bounder off to the left of Appling, who gets it nicely, throws the first, and Dusty is out for the first out in the first inning. One out of the first inning for the Red Sox, and Roger Kramer, the Boston center fielder, is at that. King gets his sign, starts his wind-up. And throws in the hitter swings, hit one hard out to right field, but Haas is jogging over easily and makes the catch nicely for the second out. Just ran three or four long strides to his left and then stood and waited. And that brings Heine Manush, the husky left-handed hitting left fielder of the Red Sox. Came on the slab, getting his sign. Hits the first one. Winds up. Pitches, and it's a wide one across the waist for ball one. Dean has the sign again, winds up, and pitches and the hitter swings, hit a high fly into left field. Left fielder Haas is just walking over to that one, and finally jogs two short steps and makes the catch easily for the third out, ending the first half of the first inning. No runs and no hits for Boston. And the score is nothing to nothing as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the first inning. Rip Radcliffe, left fielder and leadoff man, naturally the first man up. Jack Russell, who is pitching this ball game for the Red Sox, the right-hander who many years ago was with the Red Sox. He did a lot of good pitching for them. Finally was shifted to Cleveland. And then to Washington, and at Washington he did some mighty fine work. Finally ended up by waivers back at Boston this year, and has been used mostly in relief work, although he's now starting this ball game as a relief pitcher. He set up quite a record back in Washington's pennant winning year, 1934, correct? I believe that's right. 33 it was. 35 was the Cubs. 34 was the Cardinal Series with Detroit. It was the one in 33. In that year, he did a lot of very fine relief pitching for the Cubs. Bradford is up there at the plate. Stocky little left-handed hitter. And the pitcher out there gets ready to throw the first one to him. That's quite a bit of trouble seemingly to get that ground in shape for his pitching stride. Finally seems to have it ready and pitches the first one for a strike over the outside corner a little above the knee. One strike on Radcliffe. One is wide and low for ball one, so the count is one and one. One ball and one strike. Hits the next one, a slow one that is fouled down the first baseline. 
Tried to pull that one to right, but he topped it in a roll foul. And is fielded by Fox. Goes on around the infield. One and two. Russell stands out there again, studying that ground just in front of the slab. Spent a lot of time kicking that into shape. But finally starts to wind up again, throws, and the rip swings at a slow bounder out to the second baseman. He grabs it, throws to first, and Radcliffe is out for the first out in the first inning, bringing Mike Pivich, White Sox, center fielder. To bat, cocky little right-handed hitter. Russell waits around out there while they move the center fielder back and forth a little bit, finally getting him stationed pretty well over in center. He moved around toward left center, and Jack starts to wind up, throws, and the hitter follows the ball into the stand to the right of the plate, and it's strike one on Creepage. One strike to count. Russell takes quite a while out there. He studies every pitch carefully. Now he's winding up again and throws. He got the ball inside a little bit, down around the waist. And it's one and one. One ball and one strike. One and one with a pitcher ready. Once it's more, he's winding up. Throws. And Pivot gets the second ball. It misses the outside corner across the waist. So it's two balls and one strike on Mike. a slow one that floats over the outside corner waist high for the second strike. Hitter stood there and waited and seemed hesitant about making up his mind to go after that cripple. Finally decided to let it go by and it's two on two. Two balls and two strikes. He swings again to foul this one on the ground to the left of the plate. It's still two balls and two strikes on Crater. and two. Russell walked off back of the mound. He used the rosin bag. Now he's getting ready once again. Winds up pitches and Mike swings it a high fly. Going foul down the right field line. And Fox goes after it, but it drops just in the first zero boxes out of his reach. Down back to first base and it's still two balls and two strikes. back of the pitcher's mound again, rubbing up that ball. 
Hank Peavy's finally arrived back at the plate. Let's put the binoculars on and I'll see what they look like. Russell finally walks back up on the slab, has the sign, he's winding up. Pitches, and there's the third strike of beauty right down the middle, waist high. Hank Peavy's is called out on strike for the second out in the first inning. Mike let a good one go by that time. Oh, that's the way to watch him, George. I had the binoculars on that plate. He just wasn't watching the progress of the ball at all. Just watched the plate. He came right smack down the middle that time. Right down the middle. And so it's two out of the first inning, and Mule Hunt is at best. Mule hits the first ball pitch, a slow hopper past the pitcher. Croner gets it near second base, throws the first, and it's three out. No run, no hit in the first inning for the White Sox. And the score is still nothing to nothing between the White Sox and Boston Red Sox at the end of the first inning of the first game. Does your car tend to heat up, slow and sluggish in heavy traffic? Lots of times the cause is in the motor oil you're using. Oil does more than lubricate. It must seal the pistons and rings in the cylinders if you get to get full power. Play safe. Use new Texaco motor oil and be sure. Bit of a hand as Jimmy Fox comes up there to the plate. To start the second inning. Jimmy Fox is back for the Red Sox to start the second inning. Stops down there at the plate and takes off one of his shoes. Apparently some pebbles have gotten into it. And now he's putting it back on and lacing it up. Meantime, Kane stands talking to Appling, who is rubbing up the ball for him. Fox finally gets to his seat, steps up to the plate. Deck right up in front of us, a little to our right. And it's strike one. One strike is the count. Winds up again, pitches a hitter, hits a beauty down the left field line, just inside the foul line for a long base hit. Ball comes off the front of the canvas. Radcliffe gets it and throws it across to Appling, halfway between second and third, so who could relay it in any direction? And it's a double down the left field line, a well-hit ball just inside the foul line by Jimmy Fox. Putting him on second base, nobody out in the second inning. And Croner, Johnny Croner, the second baseman, another right-handed hitter, is up there at the plate. Hitter swings and follows the first one back to the screen for strike one. One strike to count. He throws again and it's ball one wide and so the count is one ball and one strike. Hits the next one, a drive to right field. Haas is racing back. 
pretty well makes the catch. Fox is going to third base after the catch. A very fine throw comes over, but it isn't going to get there in time, so Dykes yells to Appling to cut it off, which he does. So on Croner's long fly to Haas in right field, Fox goes to third base, and he's on third base with one out of the second inning, and Joe Cronin, the Red Sox manager and shortstop, is at bat. Pitcher out there gets his sign, starts his wind up, and throws, and the hitter takes it inside and blow for ball one. One ball called. Kane winds up, throws again, he swings and follows the ball out in front of the plate, pounds up and hits him as he starts out of the batter's box and rolls out into the infield. So it's a foul and a strike, and the count is one ball and one strike on Cronin. One and one the count. He's watching out there again. Gets the sign. He's winding up. And throws him. Hit a swing. Hit a bound right. And we're in his top box between third and home. Dyke says the ball throws it in to Sewell. And Sewell throws the ball to the runner. Slides back safely. Sewell held it too slowly. And when he threw it to second or to third to Appling, the runner slid in safely. It was a very poorly made play in which they should have had the man out easily. But in running him back to third base, Sewell ran him back so far that he had slid in and was practically at the base before he threw the ball to Appling. And then he threw high. So Luke didn't have a chance to get it. It's a fielder's choice for Cronin. And let him get all the way to second base. And then Fox got back to third safely. And as a result, the Red Sox have runners on second and third with only one out in the second inning. And Bill Werber, the third baseman, is at bat. Two out there and a man on not farther than second base. Kane winds up, throws, and Werber takes the ball. It's over the plate for blow, and it's ball one. Now they decide to walk Werber on purpose. Take a chance on Moberg coming up next with fourth place possible. Pitch one bad one to him, then they decided to give him his base on ball to fill the bases. And here comes the fourth ball, and Werber gets the base on balls. He shot down first base, and so the Red Sox have the bases full in the second inning with only one out, and Berg, Mo Berg is at best. Kane stands there getting his sign to pitch the first one to Mo. Starts to wind up. And pitches and Berg takes the ball. It's a curve ball wide and low. One ball call. Ball had plenty on it. And he swings the next one to hit a bounder down to Hayes, who flips it to Appling. He throws the first. And the double play works. The double play works. All right. Werber came into third base, very, or second base, very hard, trying to upset Appling. Hayes got that hard hit ball in a hurry. 
whirled through perfectly to second. Halfling caught the ball coming across the bag and then through to first, doubling Berg and getting out of that inning all right. Strategy worked that time in great style. And by that fine comeback, Kane pitching that double play ball perfectly to the hitter. They pulled out of an inning that looked as though it might result in scores on a play in which a runner got back to third base out of a run-up when he really should. So it's no run, one hit, two men left on base. In the first half of the second inning, and the score is still nothing to nothing as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the second, with Zeke Benora getting a nice hand as he walked up there to the plate. Pitcher still warming up there. On the mound as Benora wakes, swinging a couple of bats. Ball is finally thrown to second base. It's back to Russell, and Zeke steps up there to the plate to start the last half of the second inning. Zeke takes a fast strike over the inside corner just above the knees. Mr. Russell's got plenty on that ball out there today. One strike on Benora. Pitcher winds up again, throws, and Zeke hits a long drive. Looks like it's in there. Way out deep left field. And it is a home run high into the second deck by Zeke Benora. The ball mighty well hit. A home run high into the second deck of the left field stand by Benora. Gives the White Sox a one-to-nothing lead, and this crowd of 30,000 or more sets up a terrific shout and as he trots back across the plate and starts back to the bed. And Luke Appling is at that. <laughs> Jimmy Dykes waiting down there alongside the dugout, turned around and kidded Zeke as he walked back and tried finally took a bat and gave him sort of a bank as he ducked into the dugout. And now the next one, Appling lines the ball deep into left field. The left fielder juggles the ball momentarily but recovers it in time to throw it in to hold Appling at first base. The long singles the left field by Luke, putting him on first base with nobody out in the second inning for the Sox. One run home as a result of Menorah's home run. And the next man up, Jackie Hayes. Jackie Hayes, White Sox, second baseman up there. Pitch first one to Jackie throws, and they called for a pitch out, apparently thinking that the hit and run was on, or possibly a bunt to call for a pitch out, and Potts stayed right at first base, but seeing where the ball was going and where the catcher was leaping to get it, Appling didn't move off the bat. Russell still watching first pitch it again, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate above the knees to make it one and one. One ball and one strike on Hayes. One to count, Russell turns and throws it first. Halfling had just started to take his lean towards second. And had to swing all the way around to get back to first base, but he did it all right. So ready faces the plate and pitches, and a hitter fouls this one back to the screen. It's still one and two. One ball and two strikes on Jackie Hayes. Sir again walks out onto the grass back in the mound and consults the rosin bag. Dries his fingers, comes back, wiping them off on his shirt front, and then takes his place on the slab, ready to pitch again to Jackie Hayes. Swings around on the slab, 
and pitches. And the hitter takes it high and inside for ball one. Or ball two, rather. The count is two balls and two strikes. Two and two the count. Now the runner on the go here is hit the powerful well down the left field line. Just inside the foul line, hits the canvas, bounce back in. The runner is pulling up the second base, and the left fielder gets the ball and throws it into third. Ushers. 
But when Fan manages to sneak in between him and grab it right now, the usher got it, didn't he? I thought the Fan had it when he walked away. He looked as though he was holding something in his hand, but he wasn't. And the next pitch to Shug is wide for ball one in the count. is one ball and one strike. One and one. Goes back to Finger the Rosen bag again, walks slowly back onto the slab. Gets his sign, he starts to wind up. And throws, and Chug hits the slow bounder over the pitcher's head. Cronin comes in fast, gets it, throws the first, and Kane is out by not much more than a step for the third out, ending the second inning with two runs, three hits, one man left on base. And at the end of the second inning, the White Sox are leading the Red Sox by a score of two. I wonder if all of you have yet obtained your 1936 Texaco scorebook. Especially you people are out touring today, riding somewhere in car when you stop for gas. I know you always look for the sign of the red star with the green team, meaning the Texaco station. So while you're in there, ask for a request card if you're in the Chicago area. And all you have to do there is to fill it out with your name and address put a one-cent stamp on the other side because it's already addressed to me and mail it and you'll get this book which contains the official blanks for 17 full games with room for the official summaries and all that you need the same as we've used here in the press box for years full page of pictures of the Cubs and of the White Sox also with their rosters and league schedules and our complete scoring system with illustrations and explanations so that you can keep the score of these games that you see or hear and then have those games to relive from that scorebook, from a practical scoring system that we've used for many, many years, to relive those games in nights and weeks and months and years to come. Here is the pitcher, Russell, at bat, and he swings the first ball pitch to him and fouls it on the ground over to the Sox dugout for strike one. One strike on Russell. Kane rubs that ball up out there on the mound. Gets ready to pitch to Jackie again. Fans are getting his sign. Starts his wind-up. Throws and Russell takes a strike two. It's over the inside corner about waist high. So it's two strikes on Jack. Two strikes on Russell. She winds up once more. Throws and the hitter swings to follow the ball on the ground. and rolls back into the left. Back to the stands, and it's two strikes still on Jack Russell, the Red Sox pitcher at that start the third in. Kane takes his time out there, getting ready to pitch. He's winding up and throws, and the hitter starts to swing, stops the ball, hits the bat, rolls out toward the pitcher. Kane comes in, gets it, throws the first, and Russell is out for the first out in the third inning. Jack tried to stop his swing after starting for that ball. The ball met the bat rather squarely and dribbled out toward the pitcher about halfway out. Kane came in to get it and throw his man out first. So it's one out in the third inning for the Red Sox and Cook, Dusty Cook, the Boston right fielder, is at bat. Dusty swings the first pitch and starts to run it out, but it's foul. Not a boy, Dusty, that's hustling. He hit that ball. All he knew was he hit it. He wasn't stopping to see where it was. He was running it out. He's very fast. And by not wasting any time that way, he stood a chance of beating it out if the ball was fair. 
Oh, now he gets back to the plate again. These ball players have stopped and looked that get thrown out so many times, and Cook is on the go. He wants to get there. You can always come back, but you can't get down there if you wait too long to start. He hits the next one. It's another foul down the left field line, going back into the seats. Radcliffe comes across, but it's well back in the seat for strike two. Two strikes on Cook. Swings again, hit a line drive down the left field line, and a curves foul. Land foul by a foot. Boy, how he was running. He was around first base and on his way to second when that ball finally landed. But it was fouled by at least a foot down there, and it's still two strikes on Cook as he walks slowly back to the plate again. Waits out there once more. Starts to wind up. And throws and the hitter takes a strike. Oh, it's a ball. <laughs> I called that one too soon. The umpire hadn't called it yet, but apparently it was just too low. The umpire, or rather the catcher, thought at first it was good, but it wasn't. He hits the next one, a bounder out back to second base. Hayes gets it there. And the runner just barely beats the ball to first base. You know, he's very, very fast. It was a slow hopper over the pitcher's head. Hayes got it out back at second base and through to first. And Cook beat it out on a very, very close play at first base. Umpire Hubbard was bent right over the play. Cook, a very fast man, hit that bag just an eyelash ahead of the ball. And, George, you don't need to pull an eyelash out today to show me how close that is like you did yesterday either. <laughs> so Cook is on first base. With one out of the third inning. And Kramer. Roger Kramer is at bat. And the first pitch is a strike over the heart of the plate down around the knee. One strike on Kramer. Game watches first base gets ready again. As he signs. And pitches and the hitter fouls this one right back toward us and lands down here in front of us amongst the fans. And it's two strikes on Kramer. Two strikes to count. Kane is ready once more, takes another look at first base, throws. And the hitter hits the ball hard. Appling can't get it. It goes through in the center field for a base hit. Cook is around second on his way to third. And Kavich gets the ball and throws it wisely into second base to be thrown to third. The other runner might have gotten to second, and he had no chance of getting Cook. That was another bounder, but it was just barely out of reach of Appling. Luke almost got it, but not quite. And so now the Red Sox have runners on first and third. With only one out in the third inning... And Heidi Manush, another dangerous hitter, is up there at the plate. Husky left-handed swinger. Kane ready to pitch to Heine. Throws. He swings it a bounder down to Hayes. He got the throw to Appling. Appling throws the first. And it's a save at first base. Appling's throw pulled Benura off the bag. It's all right at second. And a run scores because Appling's throw to first. 
which if it was good would have gotten the man, was high, and as a result, the runner got the first base and a run score. Hammer gets up and dusts himself, starts back to the bench. I think probably the throw was bad, mainly because Kramer went into second base so very hard that uh, Appling was thrown way off stride, and the play was close enough so that Benora, in leaving the base by only about a foot, couldn't get back to it before Manush hit the bag, and Cook scores a run that makes the score 2-1 to one in favor of the White Sox, and Fox at bat swings the first one, falls it back onto the roof of the stand, bounds down back of it. And it's one strike. Kane getting his sign again. A pitch to Jimmy Fox. Throws and Jim swings in a hard bounder down to Dykes. who gets it nicely. Throws the first. And Fox is out for the third out. So it's three out, one run, two hits, one man left on base. In the first half of the third inning, the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the third inning, leading the Red Sox by a score of 2-1. Two to first White Sox hitter will be the head of the batting order, Rip Ratkins. This broadcast, the White Sox Boston doubleheader, comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox in Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief Gasoline. This broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and Red Sox to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL at Chicago. After that inning was over, Luke Sewell stood there talking to umpire Armsby at the plate about something. Don't know what, he was making lots of gestures with his hands, not as though he was in a violent disagreement about anything, but though he was making some discussion at some point, and finally turned and sauntered on back to the bench. And Radcliffe, stocky little left-handed hitter, steps up there to the plate to start the last half of the third inning. And the first pitch is a curveball. It misses the outside corner across the way. It knees for ball one. Russell winds up again. Pitches and Radcliffe swing to hit a hard bond to right straight at Croner, the second baseman who throws him out at first, although the throw is pretty high. And Fox had to end up reaching for it. So it's one out in the third inning for the White Sox. And Mike Trevich, White Sox center fielder, is at bat. Another chunky little fellow, a right-handed batsman. Winds up the pitch, first one to Mike throws, and he takes his hind inside for ball one. One ball called. Throws again, and Cleavage swings and hits a hard bounder right back at the pitcher who feels it with his glove hand, throws the first, and it's two out in the third inning. So far, he's managed to get rid of the boys up at the front end of the batting order all right. So it's two out in the third inning for the Sox. And Muehlhaas, White Sox, the right fielder is up there at the plate. Haas at bat. Winds up. Throws and the mule swings in a high fly into left field. Shortstop, third baseman dashing back. Right fielder coming in. The ball lands and bounds away from him. And the runner pulls up at second base. And uh, Werber backs up to cover third. Russell also coming over there. That's what you call a Texaco leaguer. No Texas leaguers anymore in this broadcast.
Contreras. They're all technical leaguers. A little tough fly down back of third base. Landed down there about 50 feet beyond the base, maybe 60. And just about eight inches inside the foul line. And it's up for a two-base hit. Texas leaguers anymore in this broadcast. They're all technical leaguers. A little tough fly down back of third base. Landed down there about 50 feet beyond the base, maybe 60. And just... About eight inches inside the foul line, and it's out for a two-base hit, putting Haas on second base with two outs in the third inning, and Fanura. See, Fanura is at that. Waits out there, gets ready to pitch the first one to seek. Throws, and he leans back to take a high one inside for ball one. One ball call. Russell walks slowly back onto the slab again. Takes another look back at second, then pitches, and Zeke jumps back to take the second ball inside and low. And so it's two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes. Got first base vacant there, so it's a pretty sure shot that he's not going to give Zeke anything good to hit at if he can help it. Suddenly the pitcher decides he wants another ball, asks for it, gets it from the umpire. He takes this one from the catcher, looks it over, sticks it back in his pocket. Can't find anything wrong with it. Two and nothing, two balls and no strike. And Russell throws the gun for ball three, high and wide, making it three balls and no strike. On Venura. Three and nothing to count. They find that they decide to throw that fourth one wide anyway, and so they do, and he gets the base on balls. Only the fourth pitch was intentionally wide, but as before, as I said, the first pitches, they would rather give him bad balls and fill first base than take a chance on giving him a good ball to hit. He hit a home run in the second inning. And now Luke Appling is up there at the plate. Appling at bat. Russell leans way over to get his time. Back at second base where the shortstop is wearing the runner. And then pitches a curveball wide for ball one. One ball called. And the pitch is ready out there again. Throws and Luke jumps back to take ball two. It's inside across the waist. And it's two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Epley. Two and nothing to count. Russell walks back, drives his fingers on the rosin bag again, comes slowly back onto the slab. And they're watching the plate. And the pitch is ready once more. Throws and the hitter takes the third ball. It's inside and it makes it three and nothing. Three balls and no strikes on Appling. So the Red Sox again start that pitcher warming up in the bullpen. Russell throws again and it's strike one and barely catches the inside corner across the waist. And the count is three balls and one strike on Appling. Three and one. Pitcher walks slowly back to talk to Cronin. Well, how do you do, Ernie? So you're here in time. 
Now suddenly Cronin comes in to talk to the catcher and pitcher. Croner also comes in there, and two of the two base umpires are there also in the discussion. Just what it is, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be any argument of any sort. The discussion seems to be chiefly between uh, the uh, pitcher and catcher, but Cronin got in on it. Three and one is the count. Three balls and one strike. Now there comes ball four, a wide one. Halfling gets the base on balls, and it fills the bases. With two out in the third inning, and Hayes, Jackie Hayes at bat. Bases full. Two out. Jackie Hayes at bat. Quite a time to pitch this first one. Pitcher finally starts to wind up throws, and Jackie jumps back with the balls over the inside corner waist high for a strike. One strike on Hayes. Russell still watching the catcher for his time. Finally has it again. He's winding up. Slowly, pitches. Hayes swings in a slow bounder, but it's fouled to the left of the plate, and it's strike two. That makes it two strikes. On Jackie Hayes, White Sox, remember, have the bases full in the third inning with two out. White Sox are leading the Red Sox two to one. Seems every sign again, getting another ball, getting it all rubbed up. And finally starts his wind-up. He throws, and it's a high one. It's over the plate, but too high, and it's ball one. Make the count one ball and two strikes on Hayes. One and two the count. Throws again, and Jackie swings and it's a high fastball inside, striking out, and he's so pleased that he slams the bat on the ground afterwards. But Russell, pitching nicely, struck him out to end that inning without anybody scoring, although the Sox had filled the bases with two outs. No run, one hit. Three men left on base in the last half of the third inning, and the score is still two to one in favor of the White Sox at the end of the third inning. And now, for up-to-the-minute scores and complete batteries from other cities, we return to the studio. League in Boston at the end of the eighth inning, the Chicago Cubs. At the end of the first half of the eighth inning, the Cubs are leading the Boston Bees by a score of two to nothing. Lee and Hartnett working for the Cubs, the Bees using McFadden and Lopez. In Philadelphia, the Cardinals are leading the Phillies at the end of the fifth inning by a score of eight to two. Haynes and Davis working for the Cards, the Phillies using Walters and Wilson to start with Jorgens on the mound in the third and Sivas in the fifth. In Brooklyn, the Cincinnati Reds lead the Dodgers at the end of the first half of the fifth inning, four to nothing. Dinah Lombardi starting for the Reds with Fry on the mound in the first. 
Bongo and Berries, the battery for the Dodgers. In New York, the battery for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Swift and Patton for the Giants, Hubble and Mancuso. In the American League, none of the other games have started, with the exception of the game to which you are listening from Comiskey Park, in which the White Sox lead the Red Sox 2-1. Two to one. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. First man at bat in the fourth inning for the Red Sox is Croner, and he hits the first ball, an easy bond right back at Kane, who gets it, throws the first, and it's one out of the fourth inning. One out of the fourth inning for the Red Sox. And Cronin, Joe Cronin, the Boston captain, or rather manager, and shortstop is at bat. Takes a look around, gets ready now to pitch the first one to Cronin. Starts his wind-up. Throws, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate about knee-high. One strike on Cronin. Pitcher again starts to wind up. Throws, and Joe swings it along. Fly to left field, but Radcliffe's waiting there and makes the catch nicely for the second out. Long, low fly to Radcliffe in left field, and it's two out in the fourth inning for the Red Sox. With Bill Werber, the Boston third baseman, at bat. Werber finally gets up there at the plate. Kane smooths down the dirt a little bit in front of the slab. Now starts his wind-up. And throws, and the hitter drags the bunt down towards third base. Dykes comes in fast, got to throw the first. And on a very pretty play, Werber is out for the third out. Dykes really fielded that ball beautifully there. Came in hard, scooped it up, and through the first, getting the very fast Mr. Werber for the third out. So it's no runs, no hits in the fourth inning for the Red Sox. And the White Sox still lead the Red Sox by a score of 2-1 to one as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the fourth inning with Jimmy Dykes, Mr. Manager, the first man at bat. Russell down here was going out onto the mound, but suddenly decides to wait for Bird coming out of the dugout, and then walks up toward the infield, talking to Moe. Finally walks out into the infield, and will start his warm-up in just a moment. Have a wire here, unsigned, but still it's a good question. Wants to know what happened to the White Sox coach. Austin is the name given in the wire is Billy Austin, but it's Jimmy Austin, as we all know. Jimmy is still retained as a member of the Sox crew, although off the roster this year, although I notice he's still shown on the scorebook. But Jimmy Austin's wife was very, very ill this spring, and Jimmy felt that he was going to have to resign and stay out there on the Pacific Coast with her during her illness. Well, the ball club naturally gave him leave of absence, and he's out there on in the Pacific, out on the Pacific coast with Mrs. Webb. And uh, the other day, Jimmy Dykes got a very nice letter from Austin, complimenting him on the way the club was going. Dykes hits the first ball pitch very hard, and Werber goes out to make a corking play to grab it and throw to first. And listen to the applause he's getting. Werber dashed to his left and back, caught the ball in a bad position and then got control of it and threw Dykes out at first on a very pretty play. So it's one out in the fourth inning for the White Sox and Sewell is at bat. Luke takes the first one for a strike over the outside corner, waist high. One strike at the count on Luke Sewell. Bat with one out of the fourth inning for the White Sox. 
And Luke twists away and just barely misses getting hit by the next one. It almost brushed the back of his shirt as he twisted away from the plate and takes it inside for ball one. The county is one and one, one ball and one strike on Sewell. Sewell again is winding up throws, and Sewell takes a ball wide and low, and it's two balls and one strike on Luke. Two and one. Again, starts to wind up throws, and it's a strike over the outside corner about knee high, making it two balls and two strikes on Sewell. Two and two. Swings to the next hit, a bounder down uh, toward third base. Werber makes a fine play to even stop the ball. Back at third base, but he can't handle it, and it goes as a base hit with the runner getting to first base safely. Ball was hard hit down the line. Werber this time went back into his right and uh, knocked the ball down, but couldn't quite control it in time to get Sewell at first base. It was a hard try, and Werber almost made his second spectacular play on two batted balls. Couldn't quite handle that one, so it's a base hit. And now Kane at bat reaches out and bunts the first one. Russell goes out and gets it, throws the ball into the dirt at first base. And the runner is called safe. I believe the ball bounded into Cronin's hand in time to force Sewell. And uh, he doesn't make any complaint about it. The throw by Russell was a bad throw. Hitting the dirt in front of the bag. But uh, Sewell sliding in, got in there just after the ball caromed into Cronin's glove and stuck there. Cronin had to reach way out to take it off the ground. A rather nice play to get it. So it's two out in the fourth inning. Kane is now on first base. And Radcliffe, Rip Radcliffe is at bat. He throws and the ripper takes a wide one across the knees for ball one. One ball call. Suddenly the pitcher looking at the ball doesn't like it, so he rolls it on into the... Late when umpire Armsby immediately calls time and starts reaching in his pocket for another one to throw out to the pitcher. But Emma still finds nothing wrong with that ball. Goes back into his pocket and Russell stands there getting ready to pitch the next one to Radcliffe. Where's the count of one ball? Throws again and the ripper almost went for a wide one but let it go by wide for ball two. Making it two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Radcliffe. Kane on first base. Two out in the fourth inning. White Sox leading Boston two to one. Throws again, and it's a ball over the, uh, well, missed the outside corner. Seemed to be a little high also, and it's three and nothing. Three balls and no strikes. Throws once again for ball four, wide across the chest, and Radcliffe got the base on ball. Came on first base, moves Kane to second base. And the White Sox have runners on first and second with two out in the fourth inning. And Mike Kravich... White Sox center fielder again steps up to the plate. Previous at bat. Watch the back at second and throws. Mike takes a strike over the inside corner, waist high. One strike on Previous. Ready out there again. Throws. 
And the hitter swings to miss a high fastball inside for strike two. That makes it two strikes on Creamy. Two strikes to count. Sure again has each time. Throws. And it's ball one. High and inside to the count. It's one ball and two strikes on powerful little mark. One and two. White Sox runners on first and second. Two out in the fourth inning. White Sox leading Boston two to one. Russell is ready to pitch again. Pitches. Previous swings and misses a curveball wide. Striking out for the third out. Russell really got something there in that clinch. That's twice now and with men on base. And things looking bad. He's flipped that third strike over. But he got them usually swinging. He got Hayes swinging with the bases full in the third. And he got Previs swinging this time. So the count of that inning. No runs. One hit. Two men left on base. And the score... He is still 2-1 to one in favor of the White Sox at the end of the fourth inning. The operator of your neighborhood Texaco service station is a real lubrication expert. Ask him to show you how to end squeaks, rattles, and hard riding in your car with Marfax. You'll see why oily, clinging Marfax will stay in the bearings twice as long as ordinary grease and protects your car against needless wear and tear. Kane is out there finishing his warm-up with Luke Sewell, who now throws the ball on the hop out to second base. Moberg, the... Boston Pitcher catching staff at present with Rick Farrell out with the nub thumb is walking up there to bat. Kane starts to wind up throws and Berg swings and misses a slow curve for strike one. Swung himself clear around that time. One strike on Berg. And the pitcher winds up once more. Throws. And Mo swings hit a bounder down to Jimmy Dykes, but it's foul. Jimmy comes over and knocks it down barehanded. And scoops it up and throws it back. Keen, so it's two strikes. Uh, two strikes to count. Once again, the pitcher starts to wind up throws and Berg swings hit a bounder off to the left of Appling and into left center for a base hit. Appling couldn't get over to it and it puts Berg on first base. Nobody out in the fifth inning for the Red Sox. And Russell is at bat. Jack Russell, the pitcher walking up there. The hitter comes in and uh, bunts one, and then Dykes comes in, catches it on the line, throws to Hayes at first, and it's a double play. Russell tried to sacrifice, but he bunted a little looping line drive out to Jimmy Dykes, who was racing in fast. Berg was on the go to second base, and so Hayes just dashed over and took Dykes' throw at first base to complete a double play and make it two outs. 
Here in the fifth inning. With Dusty Cook at bat. He throws the first one. It's inside across the waist for ball one. One ball called on Cook. Kane again winding up. Throws in the hitter. Also tries to bunt, but that goes foul. Well out to the left of the plate. And it's one and one. One ball and one strike. Naturally, with a fellow as fast as Cook there and a good bunter. Was eager to get on base. Especially so why Dyke is playing in pretty close. Before the count runs two strikes. Kane throws again and the hitter. Hits a foul into the stands. Back under the second deck above and third base or back of it. And it's still one and two. One ball and two strikes. On Cook. Suddenly, umpire arms be called Herb Pennock in from the first base coaching line. Herb says something to him. I don't know what. They have a little discussion, and Herb slowly walks back towards the coaching line. Drives back there. It's one and two, one ball and two strikes. Kane throws again, and it's ball two inside and low on the count. two balls and two strikes on Cook. Two and two the count. He swings again and hits the ball, ball into the catcher's glove, striking out for the third out. Sewell started to throw the ball back to Pitcher's mom, but then decided to stop and look at it and see whether it was all right for use. And so the umpire reaches out his hand, takes it and walks into the infield to examine it himself and then throws it off to the box to wait for Russell to get out there to warm up with it. No runs, one hit in the fifth inning for the Red Sox. And the score still stands 2-1 to one in favor of the White Sox. White Sox is bad on the last top of the fifth inning with Muehlhaas, the first White Sox hitter. Broadcast the White Sox. Boston doubleheader comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief Gasoline. Broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the Red Sox to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local baseball team. It's the WCFL at Chicago. Russell has finished his warm-up. Berg throws the ball out there where Croner gets it. Tosses it about two feet to Cronin, who rubs it up a little bit. <laughs> then they do a juggling act. Joe tosses it into the air and bats it over to Croner. Croner bats it into the air once, catches it, and then throws it back to pitcher. Throws back to his position. And Russell is right on the rubber, ready to go again in the last half of the fifth inning. Russell getting his time. Starts to wind up. Pitches. And Haas, uh, the first hitter, hits a slow bounder down to Cronin, who gets it, throws the first, and the mule is out for the first out of the fifth inning. That brings Zeke Benura to bat again. Zeke with a home run and a walk so far this afternoon, and he's been in a great hitting spree the last several days, practically for the last week. After having trouble for a while, he's really been going good lately. Stops to rub dust on his hands, then smooths out the dirt in the batter's box and steps up the plate. Starts to wind up throws, and the hitter hits a hard bounder, and it goes right through Werber. And Werber, after grabbing for the ball and not finding it there, throws both arms in the air as though in dejection. Now, how could anything like that happen? And as a result, 
Uh, the runner is on first base. Can you get a sign from that, George? They haven't had any sign relayed to us yet as to whether they're going to call that a hit or an error. They finally apparently decided to hit up there in the press box. And it puts Benura on first base with one out of the fifth inning and Appling at bat. Throws the first, as I said, and then he pitches one over the heart of the plate about waist high, and it's one strike on loop. One strike to count. Russell swings around again. He turns and throws the first base again, the runner's back. But he's ready to pitch now, throws, and Luke started to get out of the way of that one after starting a swing, but it hit the bat and went foul and bounded right into the Boston dugout, and it's two strikes. Again, and the pitch behind inside for ball. So it's one ball and two strikes. One and two on Appling. Coming in fast, but he can't get it. Drops out there for a base hit. 
The left fielder throws into Werber. The ball gets passed in, and uh, it's recovered fast by Russell, who chases Appling back to second, but one run scored on Hayes' long single to left. Panora scored. Give the Sox a 3-1 lead. And Appling stops at second base. White Sox still have runners on first and second with one out, one run home, and Dyke at best. Jimmy Dyke to take the pitch inside and blow for ball one. One ball call. One ball call and the pitch ready out there again. Takes another look back at second pitches. And Dyke takes a strike. A good one over the inside corner about knee high. Dyke turns around looks at the umpire on that. But that ball was one of those tantalizing things. He's probably telling the umpire, how did he make it to hang over that corner so low, but it was right in there where it just barely was a strike, but a good one. One and one to count. Russell throws again, and Dyke twists away after starting to swing. He had to twist away to take a low one inside for ball two, and he runs the count to two and one on Dyke. Two balls and one strike. Sign again, swings around once more, and throws, and Dyke swings in a high fly into short center field, center field is coming in under it, he waits for it now, and makes the catch, going hard to second base, and but Appling was back there. So it's two out of the fifth inning for the White Sox, they still have runners on first and second with one run home, they're leading the Red Sox three to one, and the man at bat is Luke Stuhl, the White Sox cut. Waiting there, Russell taking quite a lot of time, deciding what to pitch to him. And now he hits the next one, a power down pass. Werber, Werber tries to get it, just barely tied it. And one run scores, and the runner from first gets the third, and the batter reaches second base as Manush gets the ball and throws it in to uh, third base. I believe they'll call that an error, or a hit, I mean, because the ball was pretty well hit. Still, Werber had his hands on it, so we're having Eddie here check up to make sure whether it was a hit or an error. It's a very hard hit ball, and as a result, the uh, runner from second scored, Appling scored, Hayes went to third, and Sewell went to second on the throw-in. Now with runners on second and third, two out, two runs home in the fifth inning. Kane, the pitcher's a fat, hits the first one, a high fly in the center field, but the center fielder's under it and makes the catch for the third out. Ending that inning, Kane bats left-handed, and he just looped that ball in there, and he comes back with the word that it's called a base hit on Sewell that time. Really was a hard-hit ball past Werber. He just barely tagged it, and it scored Appling 
from second base give the Sox their second run of the inning. So it's two runs, four hits, and two men left on base in the last half of the fifth inning. And again, for just a moment, we return to the studio. Be sure and send in a request card for your copy of the 1936 Texaco Baseball Scorebook. By giving you this book, Texaco makes it possible for you to keep your own play-by-play record of the game. Al Totten's own personal system of scoring is clearly explained, and there are plenty of blank score sheets for you to use. You'll find a wealth of other interesting baseball between the covers of this book. Here's all you have to do to get your free copy of the 1936 Texaco Baseball Scorebook. Just go to any Texaco service station and ask for a request card. Write your name and address on the card, stamp it, and drop it in the mail. Don't delay. Send in your request card today. And now back to Comiskey Park for the continuation of the baseball game, brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local team. Take it, Al. for the sixth inning with Kramer at bat to start things off for the Red Sox. The Akazoi was going to bunt the first one. It came by high and wide for ball one. White Sox are leading the Red Sox four to one going into the sixth inning. Game winds up again, pitches, and again Kramer choked up as though to bunt, but the pitch curved inside and blow for ball two. County's two and nothing, two balls and no strikes on Kramer. And there's the next one. The hitter jumps back for ball three inside. And it's three and nothing. Three balls and no strikes on Kramer. And got this one over the hole right down the middle waist high. And it makes it three and one. Three balls and one strike on Rod. And throws again and it's strike two. Another fastball letter high. Makes it three balls and two strikes on Kramer. Three and two to count. Winding up again, throws, and the hitter gets the fourth ball, a very bad ball. It must have been a foot wide at the plate and pretty high. So he had no reason to go after it. Let it go by and he gets the base on ball. Put Kramer on first base with nobody out in the sixth inning. And Heine Manush, the left fielder, is at bat. And the first pitch line is a good strike over the inside corner about knee high. One strike on Manush. Should throws again and Heine gets strike two. A good fastball over the inside corner, letter high. And it's two strikes on Manush. Two strikes to count. It's ready again. Throws in the hitter. He leans way back to take a ball inside across the way. So it's one and two. One ball and two strikes on Heine. Swings the next hitter. Line drive down to Benora who grabs it nicely on the first. And it's another double play. And what I mean, Mr. Benora really made a nice play on that ball. Ball was really tagged. Looks all was going out to right field for at least a double. And Bonora leaped to his right, grabbed it, held on to it, and then turned and caught it back to first base ahead of Kramer to double him for the second out. So it's two out in the sixth inning for the Red Sox. And Jimmy Fox 
is up there at the plate. Jimmy Fox, first baseman. Throws the first one, and Jim takes the wide one across the waist for ball one. One ball called. Winds up again, now throws, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate, letter high, making it one ball and one strike on Fox. One and one the count. Throws again, and there's ball two, a curve ball inside and low, and it's two balls and one strike on Fox. Winding up, throws again for another strike. A pretty one over the outside corner, just barely knee high, a pretty fast ball down there, and it's two balls and two strikes on Fox. Going through the count. Throws again, and Jim started the swing stop. The ball is over the outside corner anyway, and he's out for the third up. Jimmy started the swing at that one, stopped the query of the umpire, but apparently umpire Armsby tells him that he knows he didn't finish his swing, but the ball was over the corner. So Jimmy turns promptly and starts down to first base, and Kane gets a nice hand, and so does Benura as they come into the bench. So it's no runs and no hits in the first half of the sixth inning. Four remaining, four to one in favor of the White Sox as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the sixth inning with the Ripper Radcliffe. He first hit it. Leadoff man, first man up. The Ripper hasn't had much luck the last couple of days towards preserving that high batting mark of his. I believe he had one hit yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, one hit in a walk, so he had a hit three times at that technically. Run up three times today and had one walk, so he's charged with technically two times at bat. The other one being eliminated from that point of view. And here is the Ripper up there at the plate as the pitcher finishes. Hmm. To throw the first one, Ratcliffe hits the bounder, and Russell comes in to take it on a slow first half, throws the first, and Ratcliffe is out. Rather easily for the first out of the sixth inning. One out of the sixth inning for the White Sox. And Kreevich is at bat. Mike Kreevich up there with one out of the sixth inning. Mike hasn't had any luck so far today after getting two hits yesterday. And he reaches out, bunch first one to high bounder. Russell comes in fast, gets it, and throws the first, just nipping Kreevich. Made a good throw inside the line so that Fox could reach in and make the catch and still not have to go into the runner for it. Russell is showing just how that position out there should be fielded today. He's done a nice job of fielding. And so it's two out of the sixth inning for the White Sox. With Muehlhaas, White Sox, right fielder at best. He winds up and throws. And it's a strike over the inside corner just above the knee. One strike on Haas. He winds up again, throws, and the mule takes a wide one low for ball one. So it's one ball and one strike on Haas. One and one to count. There's another one very wide for ball two. And it's two and one on the donkey. Two balls and one strike. 
starts to wind up and throws and Haas swings it an easy bounder down to Croner who gets it throws the first base and Haas is out for the third out making it no runs no hits in the sixth inning for the White Sox and at the end of the sixth inning the White Sox are leading the Red Sox in the first game of the doubleheader by a score of 4-1 to one. Now again, for up-to-the-minute scores and complete batteries from other cities, we return to the studio. In the National League in Boston, the Chicago Cubs lost the first of the doubleheader game against the Bees by a score of 3-4. to four. The Cubs had three runs, ten hits, and one error. To the Bees, four runs, eight hits, and one error. Lee and Hartnett started for the Cubs with Davis pitching in the ninth. McFadden and Lopez worked for the Bees the entire route. The first game of the Twin Bill in Philadelphia between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Phillies, the Cards lead at the end of the eighth inning by a score of 8-2. to two. Haynes and Davis, the Cardinal battery, Walters and Wilson starting for the Phillies with Jorgens in the third, Tyvis in the fifth, and Harris in the ninth. In Brooklyn, the first game of the doubleheader between the Cincinnati Reds and the Dodgers at the end of the first half of the eighth inning, the Reds lead the Dodgers 4 to nothing. Stein and Lombardi, the opening battery for the Reds, with Fry on the mound in the first, Mungo and Berry's opening for the Dodgers, with Phelps catching in the eighth. In the game in New York between the Giants and the Philadelphia and the Pittsburgh Pirates, at the end of the first half of the third inning, it's a scoreless tie. Swift and Patton, the Pirate battery, the Giants using Hubble and Mancuso. In the American League in St. Louis, the Philadelphia Athletics and the Browns are tied with no score at the end of the first half of the first inning. Pink and Hayes, the Athletic battery, the Browns using Hogsett and Giuliani. Those are all the scores there are so far. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the seventh inning, the first man at bat, Croner, takes the first pitch for a strike. He hits the next one, a long high fly to deep left field. Radcliffe's way, way back there and makes the catch back in front of the left field bleachers for the first out in the seventh inning. The ball was pretty well tagged, but also pretty hot. The wind right now, and for the last several innings, has been very strong, but directly from the east. A little bit southeast, so it blows over toward that left field stand rather than against it. Ball hit toward right field is the end of the win. Now Joe Cronin, the shortstop and manager of the Red Sox, is up there with one out of the seventh inning. Kane winds up and throws, and flowing and misses the outside corner for ball one. Wait there again, has the sign, starts to wind up. Pitches, and the hitter swings. Hit one out into right field for a good clean base hit. Haas backs up to take it carefully on the second half and then throws it into second base. Hayes cutting off the throw. The runner stopping at first. So it's a single to right field by Cronin. Putting him on first base with one out of the seventh inning for the Red Sox. And Werber, Bill Werber, the Boston third baseman, is at bat. on first base, one out in the seventh inning, Werber at bat, and Bill takes a strike over the outside corner across the waist. One strike on Werber. Kane has his time, is ready again. Pitches, and Werber takes the ball. It's over the plate, but a little bit too low. And the count is one and one on Bill. One ball and one strike. Kane takes quite a while, finally has his sign again, he's ready. And pitches and the hitter swings, hit a bounder down to Appling, who gets it, throws to Hayes. Hayes throws the first, but Werber, I believe, is safe there. The throw was wide, but Werber, a very, very fast man, had beaten the throw to first base. It's hard to double a fellow like that who is so speedy. But Cronin was forced at second, play going from Appling to Hayes for the second out in the seventh inning. 
And it brings Mo Berg to bat. Mo Berg is up there with two out in the seventh inning. Werber on first base. Werber is not very likely to try to steal because they need three runs to tie it up, not just one. First pitch of Mo is a good strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike on Berg. Team throws to first base as Werber steps off the bag, but he just stepped right back on again, was there well ahead of the throw. And pitcher ready again, pitches for strike two, a beauty over the heart of the plate, a little above the knees. And it's two strikes on Burke. Two strikes to count. Kane has his sign again. Pitches and the hitter swings hit one hard out to Hayes, who comes up with it, tosses to Appling, and Werber is forced at second for the third out. He started to throw it to Appling, so Luke wasn't there, and then acted as though he might turn and throw to first base, but Luke got over there, so he threw to second to make the fourth play for the third out. So it's no runs, one hit, one man left on base. In the first half of the seventh inning, and the White Sox still lead the Red Sox by a score of Four to one as the crowd gets to its feet for the seventh inning stretch. And the first White Sox hitter in the last half of the seventh will be Zeke Venora, White Sox, first base. I have a wire here from Milwaukee. There's an enjoying broadcast and other things in Milwaukee, signed Walter Sinclair. Now, knowing Walter, I don't even have to guess what those other things in Milwaukee are enjoying. You all know what made Milwaukee famous. Yes, but at the same time, they said still other things than that in Milwaukee. Glad to hear from Walter, though. Walter Williams. Lenora stands there as Oscar Melillo warms up that pitcher. Bird finally gets out there. West Farrell, who is expected to pitch the second game. As walking across the field and on to the, through the Sox dugout to go up into the clubhouse. Take a little rest before he has to come out to warm up for that second game. And the first pitch to Benura is a high one inside for ball one. One ball call. He throws again and Zeke just away to take ball two up around the ears but inside. And it's two and nothing, two balls and no strikes on Zeke. Russell throws again for ball three wide and low, and it's three balls and no strike on Benura. There's the fourth one inside and low, and Zeke gets his second walk of the day. He has two singles, or two walks rather, a single and a home run, and has scored two of the Sox's four runs today. And it brings Luke Appling to bat. Lucas had a walk and two singles and has scored the other two runs. Luke Appling up there at the plate. And they're watching the plate. They clear first, finally swings around in the slab. Pitches, and the hitter takes a strike over the inside corner about waist high. One strike on Appling. The 
Ready out there again, throws and loops, swings and falls the ball on the ground at his feet for strike two. So it's two strikes on Appling. Two strikes to count. Pitcher ready again. He takes another look at first throws. And Luke falls this one down against the front of the stands down beyond first base. Palms out into right field. And it's still two strikes on Appling. Two strikes on Luke Appling. Benora on first base. Nobody out. In the seventh inning for the White Sox. And the Sox are leading the first game of the doubleheader by a score of four to one. Goes now and it's inside across the waist for ball one. So it's one and two on Appling. One ball and two strikes. One and two. And the hitter swings the next one to drive it out into center field for another base hit. Zeke again slows up to make sure the ball isn't caught and then goes only as far as second base. And it's Appling's third hit. In three technical times at that, the other time up, he got a walk. White Sox have runners on first and second. Nobody out in the seventh inning. And Jackie Hayes is at bat. Hayes up there at the plate. They're expecting Jackie to bunt naturally. And he does run out there to the left, but the ball goes foul. Bird goes out there and scoops it into the air so Ford can roll fair again. And it's one strike on Hayes. One strike to count. Cook had torn way in there and was out there to back up first base on any play there, but he's back out to his position. They're still expecting Hayes to bunt those runners around if he can. Russell stepped off the rubber, but the runner dashes back, but there's no play. Now the shortstop trying to hold Benura out there. And Hayes does bunt the ball down to Werber, who gets it, throws the first, and it's a good sacrifice by Hayes. Jackie bunted that ball hard enough that time so he knew Werber would have to handle it and not back up to make a possible play at third base. So it's a sacrifice by Jackie Hayes. Play going from Werber to Fox for the first out in the seventh inning, moving Benura to third base and Appling to second. And Jimmy Dykes is at bat. and take a chance on Luke Stool. Ball one, ball two. Going to walk him on purpose to fill the bases. The only logical thing to do at a time like this. Dykes, the dangerous hitter, hasn't had a hit yet today. And uh, liable to break up the ball game right here and now, so they'd rather have the bases full. It's no reflection on Stool's hitting ability, but they'd rather have fourth plays fall as possible all the way around the line. A double play at every base. Now Sewell steps up there as the umpire tosses another ball out to Russell and throws that other one out of play. 
Gould still swinging three bats. The bat boy waits as he tosses two of them aside. And grabs them and starts back at the bench. Sewell trips up there. The Sox have the bases full in the seventh inning. With one out, they're leading the Red Sox, four to one. And Luke Sewell is a bat. Starts to wind up, throws, and Luke swings, hit a ball out to the shortstop. Roman manages to knock it down, and then turns and throws the third after recovering it. But Hunter slips back to Oliver. They're all right. And Lenura scored his third run of the game. Cronin knocked that ball down way back to second base on a great play. There was no chance of getting the ball. What? Apparently they're calling it a boot. Apparently they're calling it an error from the press box. Well, all right. Air gets better than mine. The ball was hard hit way out back of second base. Cronin went back and managed to knock it down, but couldn't handle it, so they call it an error, and one run scores. Now Kane pushes the ball through the right field for the base hit. One run is coming in, second run coming in, and the run at the first reaches third base. Three runs home this inning. The White Sox now leading the Red Sox 7-1 to one in the seventh inning, and they still have runners on first and third as the pitches starts in from the right field bullpen. turns and walks off the field toward the runway back to third base go up to the clubhouse Kane pointed that ball and hit a bounder pulled it through in the right field for a base hit it scored two more runs and gives the White Sox a 7-1 lead and the new pitcher is now in there It is. Wilson is the pitcher. First man he has to face is Rip Radcliffe. Wilson's a right-hander. He's not short, but he's not his average height for a ball player. Not overly tall. He's an easy sidearm delivery. And uh, he's finishing he's finishing his warm-up out there with Moberg while Rip Radcliffe waits out there to take his turn at bat. I think that he's all ready. So Ratcliffe steps up there to the plate, and he's ready to go in the last half of the seventh inning. White Sox have three runs home this inning. One out, and still have runners on first and third. Ratcliffe at bat. He throws, and Ripper jumps way back to take it inside across the waist for ball one. One ball call. Throws once more for ball two. It's wide across the chest, and it's two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Radcliffe. Two and nothing to count. The 
Throws again to Radcliffe, swings hit a blind drive right out to the second baseman who turns and throws the first, but Kane apparently just got back in time. Just managed to get back there with the line drive by Radcliffe right straight at Kroner, who held the ball for a minute and then saw that Kane was standing off the base and not getting back. So he threw over there and Kane made a leap for first base and got in there in time. So it's two out in the seventh inning for the Sox. Runners on first and third with three runs home. They're leading the Red Sox seven to one. And Mike Krivich is at bat. Mike takes the curveball wide and low for ball one. One ball called. Swings the next to follow it up onto the roof of the stand above first base, and it's one and one. One ball and one strike on Kravitz. Wilson throws again, and this one's inside and low. Gets away from the catcher, but only a few feet. And he whips off his mask and grabs the ball, but the runners were holding their bases. So it's two balls and one strike. Two and one on Little Mike. Berg is pulling on his cap. Now pulling on the mask. Slips on the glove and cuts the pass sign to Wilson again. Has it. Wilson's ready pitches. And Kravitz swings in a drive out to the right center, but the center fielder Kramer gets over there fast to make a catch of that line smash for the third out. The ball was well hit, but Kramer got over in time to get. That ends the seventh inning. In the last half of the seventh, the White Sox had three runs. There were two hits, one error, and two men left on base. And the score is seven to one in favor of the White Sox over the Red Sox at the end of the seventh inning. If you want to get the most out of your car, the most in power, speed, and acceleration, use Texaco Fire Chief gasoline. Fill up the tank with Fire Chief and watch the hills flatten out. You'll be ahead of the crowd when traffic lights change. On the open road, you'll show your heels to anyone. Broadcast of the White Sox Boston doubleheader comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox in Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief gasoline. The broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the Red Sox, stimulating us in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL at Chicago. Mel Almada is batting in place of Wilson start the eighth inning. Almada's a left-handed hitter. Takes the first pitch for a good strike over the heart of the plate, waist high. Pitcher again winding up. Throws and Mel takes a ball wide across the waist from the count is one and one. One ball and one strike. Out there getting his sign again, throws and Mel swings and misses a curveball inside, and it's two strikes. One ball and two strikes on Almada.
Swings the hit the next one. A little looping drive out over Hayes' head into short right center. For a base hit, it was a little too low to be a Texas co-leaguer. One of those humpback liners that the ball players talk about. Swing line drive into short right center. For a base hit for Almada. Putting him on first base with nobody out in the eighth inning. And Cook is up there to play. Out of the inning. So it's one out of the eighth 
inning for the Red Sox. The Schiller brothers on first and second. And Heine Manush, the Boston left fielder, is at bat. Four still 7-1 in favor of the White Sox. Still looks at second and throws, and the hitter swings a long, high fly to center field, but Trevich is waiting back there. Has it for the second out. The runner from second is going to third, and Trevich's long throw into second base holds Cook at first base. So it's two out in the eighth inning for the Red Sox. They still have runners on first and third. And Jimmy Fox is at best. Jimmy still stands there talking to the umpire about something or other. Finally steps up to the plate. And Kane is ready to pitch to him. Throws. Jim takes the curve ball wide for ball one. One ball call. A still whistle you hear every so often, of course, is caused by Al Shack down there in the coaching line. And some of the fans in the stands then usually answer him. Throws again, and Fox gets ball two. Another curve ball wide and low. So it's two and nothing on Jim. Two balls and no strikes. One nothing to count. He hits the next to pop by. Coming down back of the plate. Foul. Sewell is following it over toward the stand. Has it, and it's three out. Getting good support as well, but the real... Retiring the side there was done by the pitcher who, after allowing a hit and a walk to open the inning, came through in great state to pull through unscathed. No run, one hit, two men left on base in the first half of the eighth inning. And the score is still 7-1, to one. White Sox leading Boston as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the eighth inning with Muleheart, the first hitter, and a new pitcher in there for the Red Sox. had a call asking about the estimate of the crowd. The best guess we can give is about, I would say, 32,000. Possibly it runs between 30 and 35, so any number in there would be a good guess. Henry is the pitcher now for the Red Sox. Tall, slim boy, not skinny, but rather slim. Finishing his warm up down there with Moberg. As Muleha stands there at the plate, waiting to start the last half of the eighth inning. But you get the ball after it's been thrown to second base. We're ready to go in the last half of the eighth. Starts to wind up. Pitches, and the hitter follows the ball back to the screen for a strike. One strike on Hart. That's handed hitter. Ball rolled up the top of the screen and stuck up there. The little space between the screen and the second deck of the stand. And there's a ball. It's wide and low for the count. It's one ball and one strike on Hart. One and one. Again, 
Pitches and mule swings. Here's the beauty down the left field line. Going way on down to the corner. Hands off the front of the canvas. And Mule is easily pulling up at second base. A double just inside the left field foul line. And it puts Mark on second base to open the eighth inning. Bringing Manura. Keeps Manura at bat. Here's the two walks. A single and a home run. And he scored three runs. Steps up there. Turns around with the second pitcher, then Zeke swings the foul the ball out of the roof of the stand above him to the left of the plate, and it's strike one. One strike to tell, or rather two strikes. On Benora, George, you're bouncing around there, picking things up, what a blown around, eh? What? Right. And he throws again as Zeke swings hit a high fly out back to second base. Second baseman Conan is back there. So is Conan. And Joe makes the catch. Setting right alongside of Conan for the first out in the eighth inning. One out in the eighth inning for White Sox. And Luke Appling getting a nice hand as he comes up there with his record of one walk, three singles, and three runs. ball game. He throws now and he hits the drive of Judy as the scores hits down the right field line. Right fielder makes a nice catch on the ball and throws it over to second base. The whole appling at first looks at the big turn there because there's nobody covering first. Fox having run part way down the line. But a quick throw from Cook drove him back to first base. And then his fourth single scores the White Sox eighth run in the game to give them an eight to one lead over the Red Sox. And Jackie Hayes is up there to play. Hayes at that. Jackie swings, hits a long drive down the left field line, but it's going foul and lands back in the left field seat. Foul for strike one. One strike on Hayes. Field. 
Dusty gets it, goes in very fast, Napling who had gone back and touched up and then taking the lead again. Goes back to second base. Line drive right straight at Cook. So it's two out in the eighth inning for the White Sox. Two out. And Sewell is at bat. Luke Sewell up there now. second and throws, and Luke falls his ball high into the second deck above him to the right of the plate for strike one. One strike on Sewell. Ready out there again. And there's a ball wide and low for the county. It's one and one. One ball and one strike. One ball and one strike. Still playing again to hit a bounder out in the left field for a base hit. Runner from second is around third on his way in. And, uh-oh, he left fielder got the ball and threw it over to third base. There was nobody there covering. Werber was over in the shortstop position for some reason or other. And Cronin was nowhere out in left field where that ball had gone. And the pitcher hadn't gone over to cover. So Manush got the ball and threw it over to third base, and he gets an error on the throw. Through no fault of his own, there was nobody covering there. It's a single left field by Sewell. His fourth hit in a row, by the way. The score is Appling. Now Keene is up there getting a nice hand. He steps up there. Scored Appling and put Hayes on second, and then the two runners advanced the base when the left fielder threw the ball at an uncovered third base. Kane hits the first pitch for a high foul, and Werber drops it. Down back to third base. Werber is having a very bad day out there, and he dropped that foul after being right under it. Probably he'll be charged with an error on that also. Oh, yeah. 
Nothing on third, and Dykes on second. So there was no error there. Now we're ready to go in the ninth inning with Broner at bat taking the first pitch inside and blow for ball one. One ball ball. And the pitcher winds up, throws, first strike over the heart of the plate, knee high, making it one and one. Nine 
men left on the bases. The Red Sox had one run, six hits, one error. The seven men left on the bases. Time of the game, an hour and 56 minutes. The winning pitcher, King. The losing pitcher, Russell. That is again, White Sox, nine runs, 16 hits, no errors. with 12 men left. Red Sox, one run, six hits, one error. with seven men left. Time, 156. The winning pitcher, Kane. Losing pitcher, Russell. The second game of the doubleheader will start in approximately 20 minutes, which means just about 10 minutes to 4 Chicago time. And we'll be with you just before that time with the story of the of the lineups and such things and be all ready for the first pitch when it comes up. In the meantime, we have entertainment waiting for you at the studio. And so Al Cotton is going to bid you just a temporary good afternoon from Comiskey Park. We'll see you again in about 20 minutes. But in the meantime, bye now.